Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. Your trip to the mall may never be the same again. It's episode 411 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham. In case you didn't notice, there's a new Transformers series streaming on Netflix Right now, Transformers bot bot. So who better to get all the info from than showrunners Doc Wyatt and Kevin Burke, who are going to join me to talk about this really fun show this week. Also, if you've been watching season two of Kung Fu on the CW, I have the villainous Russell Tan on the show this week. He Chan going to join me to talk about a lot of stuff that's going to be going on in this upcoming season. Also, going to talk about Pachinko with a couple of the stars of that series as well, going to be reviewing the Halo series on Paramount Plus, talk about some trailers and another new addition to the Gotham Knights cast from the CW. So a ton going on. But first, it's time to transform the show and talk to tra- talk about Transformers Bot Bots with Doc Wyatt and Kevin Burke. That's next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is John Barber, writer of Optimus Prime. And you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. All right, you guys know that I'm a Transformers fan. I got the Optimus Prime shirt on right now from the beginning, and I know these guys are too. That's why I'm so excited to talk to them about Transformers Bot Bots coming to Netflix on March the 25th. It's Kevin Burke and Doc Wyatt, showrunners. How are you guys doing? Hey, doing good. Yeah, doing great. Glad to be here. So, guys, it feels like this is more than meets the eye more than ever before with Bot Bots, and I love that about it. So to kind of feel like this show had kind of like this endless amount of possibilities for you guys or what? Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. We've been Transformers fans since Transformers, you know, first first came out. And one of the aspects about this show that we really much wanted to drive for was that great original idea, the core idea that it's robots in disguise, that anything you look out the window could be a secret robot. I remember when I was a kid think, seeing a car and thinking, I bet that's a robot. You know, now... You can do that with literally anything you see in a store or anything around you. You know, you can look in your own house and say, is that coffee cup a, a robot? Like, I don't, I don't, anything can be a robot. And we wanted to capture that Transformers feeling there. So usually what happens is you get show first, then toys, not the other way around. This time you guys are kind of working the opposite way where the toys have been out since I believe 2018. Correct me if I'm wrong there. But how long has the show actually been in the works? Have you guys been working on this for a while? And how does that, does that make a difference for you guys that it went in that order? 
I mean, it necessarily went in that order because what happened was we were working at Hasbro Studios on a different Transformers show and we saw the designs for these that before they'd come out back in 2018, we saw the designs for BotBots in a big Transformers brand book that was in the office. And we immediately went to our executives and said, let us make the show. We want to make the show. And they, they sort of said, well, yeah, they were, I may be surprised by how immediately passionate we were to get a show going. And they're like, well, if you guys can develop a show and, and if you can get it sold, we can make a show. And so we were enthusiastic from the very beginning. But that's why Toy First is because we saw the toys and we said, man, this has got to be a show. And in some ways that was the most of any of the shows we've done was the most like being a kid playing with toys because we had the toys and thought, what adventures can these toys have, which is the exact opposite of what usually happens. We had a big pile of BotBots sort of uh, in between our desks in the studio space. And we could sit there and talk about the show while we were sort of fidgeting with them, transforming them and lining them up in rows and talking about what they could do. And, you know, it was great. Gosh, that's a, such a good way to put it. That makes so much sense now that you guys said it that way. Now, you said it already. You're both longtime Transformers fans, just like I am. And I was thinking about like how you were introduced to Transformers for the first time. How does it feel knowing that these bots that you're playing with right now in this show could be somebody's first entry into Transformers? Because I've got three little ones at home right now. Uh, that No, it's super, super exciting for us. I mean, we... We got into Transformers at the start and every Transformer that I, I had was just an amazing adventure, you know, waiting to happen. And I was reading the comics and obviously then watching the show and just obsessed with that. And, you know, it's been a, a long time since that came out in the 80s and there's been a lot of lore, a lot of different versions. And to some people, it is tough to get into Transformers because it's been a lot of years. And so we wanted to, at very least, create a show that if you love Transformers for almost 40 years, you're gonna, you can love the show. It doesn't negate anything that you've been loving, you know, this entire time. And if you've never even heard of Transformers, you can turn this on and get the core idea and fall in love with these characters that are all brand new and really find your place in this world here. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I remember my first ever introduction to Transformers was seeing an Optimus Prime on the shelf in whatever store that doesn't exist anymore that I saw it in and then discovered the show. And then, yeah, and every Transformer I've ever owned, I still own, you know, some are uh, so in boxes at my mom's house, but I've still got them. And, uh, you know, I, I love that idea. I love the idea. We're both dads. We have kids. And we, I mean, we love the idea that our viewers are going to fall in love with these characters the way that we fell in love with the characters that we were introduced to. Oh, I wish I had all my old ones and I don't. So I'm <laughs> as if I wasn't jealous of you guys enough already. Now I am for sure. No, I know. So, well, <laughs> if you saw the condition that some of them were in, you it would doesn't maybe matter, doc. It doesn't matter. You still have them and you know it. <laughs> so I got to say, I'm watching the show and I can't decide who's my favorite at this point. Is it, is it kick me? Is it clog stopper? I can't decide. I'm sure you guys can either. Cause you've got so many fun ones. So did you guys find that you were kind of drifting towards a favorite or was there somebody that was just really fun for you guys to write? Well, writing wise, my favorite was always clog stopper. Cause he, he's the one that comes from these obtuse angles and says some of the strangest things that you do a bit of a double take. Where you're like, what, what could that have been referencing? You know, he, he doesn't drive a lot of the stories, but he's definitely the character that, comes in when, when he showed up into a scene i knew we were gonna have a lot of fun with him because he always brings a, a totally wild perspective to any situation for me it was uh, frost fratu like just you find, frost fratu gets to be he's a cupcake who is a robot who is a vampire who is a hypnotist who is a very bad hypnotist and there's that that particular combination 
always, always worked for me. God, am I so glad you picked that one because that was another one that I really, really loved too. And we get to see a lot of them, which I really love as well. So guys, your opening title sequence, I think people are going to be talking about that too because it's, I, I love the fact that it literally explains the show in hilarious detail right there in the opening sequence. So talk about what made you guys decide to go that route because I, I actually think it makes it more memorable. That was actually part of our, even our original pitch. Our idea was to go the Gilligan's Island or some of the other, you know, routes in which we didn't have to spend a ton of time doing setup. Or if you hadn't seen an episode and you went over to your friend's house and you tuned in, you know, five episodes in, you didn't need to be like, well, who are these people? What happened here? That every time through a great song, you would be reminded as to what the setup is, you know? And, that, and that's important to us. It makes it a bit timeless you know and it makes it you know every episode works on its own it tells an overarching story but from the very start we wanted to lean into that you know almost classic sitcom trope of having a great opening credit sequence that explained the story i mean this shows is inspired by transformers as it is by classic sitcoms you know this is this is a mix of that it's the first transformers comedy show and that's that's where we ended up with it and in the trans in the streaming environment, you know, you always have the little button where you can skip the intro. And I often, when I'm just watching as a viewer, I'll often skip intros. Oh, me too. Yeah. But every once in a while, there's a show where the opening credit uh, intro is so solid that every week I'll just watch it all the way through. You know, I will not hit that button. And so we like this was our bid to try to get an intro going that people would be so into they wouldn't skip. Yeah, like DuckTales, like, Tur- like oh, DuckTales, yeah. Turtles. Turtles. Turtles is definitely Turtles. one too, yep. Absolutely. We would love nothing more than in, you know, 20 years, kids are seeing this at their weddings. You know what I mean? They know the <laughs> Well, job well done. Talking to Doc White and Kevin Burke, showrunners for Transformers Bot Bots, which is going to be streaming on Netflix on March the 25th. Guys, there's a lot of fun on this show, but there's also a theme of acceptance here, I think, as well. So do you guys feel like this show is kind of more relatable than it might seem on the surface? Absolutely. That's, I mean, it's the kind of stories we want to tell. There'd be a version of this where you could just do a bunch of gags that would feel like you've just eaten a lot of candy and, and you don't, you can't only watch so many episodes. There's very much a story about finding family in unexpected places, you know? Sometimes these characters make their own mistakes. Sometimes they set out to win something and then they don't win in the way they thought they were going to, you know? We think that's very important to our audience. It's, it's important to kids. It's also important to adults. This, this whole idea that, you know, we're trying to navigate this world together. We don't know where we belong. It may not be where we think we belong. You know, it may be exactly where we expect it to belong, but there's, there's very much a heart to it that we think is important. And it's part of the, the co-viewing family experience. We hope the show is. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, in terms of relatability, we think of uh, the BotBots are sort of adult in the sense that they all have sort of complicated relationships, but they're also sort of the kids. They're the kids. I mean, they weren't born yesterday. They are born pretty recently and they came to life in this world that's built for beings that are taller than them. And they have to find ways to navigate it and to turn it into fun, like things that are mundane human scale things become playgrounds for the BotBots as they make their way in this world. Burgatron might be a little tiny robot made out of a beef patty, but we hope he's also someone through whose eyes we can see the world. Most definitely. Now, you guys talked about talking, playing with the toys and stuff while you were getting the show together. So should fans of the toys be keeping an eye out for maybe a few little winks and nods here and there during the show? Oh, 100%. There are definitely some, especially in later episodes, there are definitely a couple of great fan sort of favorite appearances. 
Absolutely. And you might even want to take a closer look at the design of the mall itself, because that might be revealing of some sort of Transformer Easter eggs. Ooh, we're going to be keeping our eyes peeled for that. Gentlemen, before I let you go, I've got three kids at home. I know you guys both said that your dad's as well. And parents know that there's, there are plenty of animated series out there that you don't want to watch on repeat. You just you just don't. So how do you think the Transformers Bot Bots appeals to all audiences? And, you know, for lack of a better way of putting it, won't, won't drive us parents nuts. Well, we definitely were inspired by and very much based this on, again, being parents and what shows we want to watch. But we live in a, in a great time of children's entertainment that the whole family can enjoy, like the Pixar films, you know, DreamWorks films. There's a lot of things that weren't around in the 80s and 90s that parents and kids can enjoy. And we're very much wrote this show and created the show to be in that zone, to be not the show where parents are like, oh my God, I can't believe you're still watching that show. Please turn it off. Their voices are killing me. This is a show where, I mean, if a parent isn't watching it, hopefully they walk through the room, catch a gag and be like, wait, is this, is this show a lot funnier than I thought it was? It's designed to be enjoyed for all ages. 100%. And you guys are going to find that out for sure. March the 25th, that's when Transformers Bot Bots is going to be streaming on Netflix. And yeah, I, I don't think you guys are going to be skipping intros, and I don't think you're going to be skipping episodes either, thanks to these guys. <laughs> it's Doc Wyatt, Kevin Burke. Thank you so much, gentlemen, for joining me. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Thank you for having us. And I'm going to tell you, I enjoyed Transformers Bot Bots way more than I expected to. It was funny. It was deeper than I thought. The designs of the characters are really fun, and it really makes you keep your eyes open. And I didn't even get a chance to ask them about the mall security guard. He's <laughs> just a goofball. And it's it's just a fun show. Definitely watch this with your kids, Transformers Bot Bots, which is actually now streaming on Netflix. Again, thanks to Doc Wyatt and Kevin Burke for talking to me about Transformers Bot Bots. Up next, we'll switch gears and talk about Kung Fu and the latest villain, for the show from season two, Russell Tan, played by Key Chan, who's going to join me to talk about it next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Yeah, brother. This is Josh Segura, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. So if you're watching this season of Kung Fu, you know there's a new big bad in town, and it's this guy right here playing who plays Russell Tan. It's Key Chan. Key, how you doing? I'm very well, James. Thank you so much for having me. So you've lived and worked in a lot of countries, Key, over the years. Mm -hmm. So do you feel like that's kind of helped you as an actor be able to prepare for many different kinds of roles in many different kinds of settings? Absolutely. Uh, it's prepared me to, to live life, basically. And then I translate that into my work. I have traveled to about 158 cities and I've worked in different 158 cities in 35 years. And it's been an eye-opener. It's educated me so much about the world and people, everything else. No doubt about that. Now, you're old enough to remember the original Kung Fu series, I'm sure. And, I'm, and you know, you're a part of the reboot series now, as I said. So the two shows are vastly different, which I think is really, really great. But were you a fan of that original series? And how excited were you to join this brand new version of it? I was a kid when I watched it. And so I, I, I watched it through a child's eyes, you know, and you interpret things differently when you're a couple of years old, a few years old. My memory of it is I found it fascinating because the lead was a white guy. And I wondered how, as a, as a little Asian boy living in, you know, in Singapore, I wondered how he managed to get into that territory and how, what kind of mount, mindset he had. And being in Kung Fu now is a completely different story, of course. The lead, of course, is Olivia. This is all about her. <laughs> yes, Nikki Shen. It is all about her. And every single thing which transpires, including Russell, this is part of a story of her life and what she's going through. We got to see a little bit of Russell Tan at the end of the first season. Now you're kind of taking over as the big bad for season two. Did you actually know ahead of time your character is going to have a bigger role 
in the second season all along, or did you kind of find out later on? No, I did not. I thought I was going to be in for three episodes, so I assume I was just coming in to be. A, <laughs> I thought it was going to be a filler for you know for Curry and just be nice and leave, but it evolved very quickly, and so I had to get my teeth into it. I got running because I had the greatest support from actually the crew. They they created such a safe environment for you to be so open as an actor. To be able to reveal so much of stuff which you want to create, which you dare to go in, which in the real life, in the real world, you would never ever do or even think of. The creative freedom which it gives you was everything which allowed me to create Russell. That's incredible. That's really really fun to hear. So you know, Russell Tan feels like more than your typical evil businessman, though, which I think is really really good. How would you describe him? And when we kind of continue to learn more about him as the season goes on, as well. You will learn a lot more about him because he evolves from episode to episode. In the beginning, he is written as this incredibly evil person, very dark. However, I have given him many, many layers because, you know, bad people are also really, really good people. They come from somewhere. They were somebody's baby. They were someone's son, someone's daughter, someone's newborn, and they grew up. And along the way, things are complicated. But it doesn't mean the bad because everyone believes what they're doing is the right thing. Bad or good is a judgment. So I hope that the journey I have created for Russell will empathize and will resonate in many, many people through, you know, with many, many, many people that see a bit of themselves in every little thing he does. And I wouldn't be surprised. And actually, I think a part of that might be because of his family, because judging by the first few episodes, seems like there's a very interesting dynamic going on with this Tan family. So how important are his children to him? And could we see them maybe play a bigger role in his master plan coming up? Russell's master plan is what he believes is his destiny to do. It's what he believes perhaps is the betterment of many, many, many things. But of course, that you'll see later on. His relationship with his children is very, very complicated, like most, like real-life families. There is a love-hate relationship. There's, there is all kinds of complications. However, at the end of it all, do you love your children more than what you do? Are your goals more important than that? Then that is what you guys will find out. Oh, that's such a great tease. Look at that. Oh, you're going to have to just keep watching <laughs> Kung Fu, which, of course, you can see on Wednesday nights on The CW. We're talking to Key Chan. Now, Key... At first, it seems like Tan's focus is just on Nikki in the first couple of episodes. But now we know there's really, like you said, much more to it than that. So how much more will we learn about the bell and these artifacts that he's kind of been after? You will learn them in drips because it's not just about the bell. It is so many things which it stands for, what he's, what he's looking for. It is only a part of his bigger vision. And unfortunately, or fortunately, Everybody else gets involved in it because they are the periphery to all of these things. Nikki Shen, our lead, who is admirable, who works wonderful things, actually. I, I, I adore her. As the story evolves, more and more characters get involved in it. And it becomes very complex, very bright tapestry of not just characters, but human values. What you will see is the evolution of Tan's families relationships with each other and this very dramatic interesting interesting now we've seen of course earlier on as well that russell tan is not afraid to get his hands dirty but it seems like he's got sasha doing some dirty work for him too as well what's the trust level 
between the two of them, or is this just typically a, a mercenary type situation? Russell does what he needs to get what he wants, because at the end of the day, it's his vision which matters most of all above everybody else. Interesting, interesting. Now, it looks like Russell's son has a very personal connection to Jilan, which we've seen in, in these last in this last episode, actually. It appears to be it's kind of almost they try to sever it very early on. Do you think that she could be a potential problem for you, for Russell a little bit down the line? Because I, I kind of feel like once she finds some things out, she's not going to be too thrilled. Jilan will always be Russell's problem. But that is the most exciting part about it because she is a very modern woman. She is singularly, oh, she's singularly attractive, first of all, but she's always singularly focused on empowerment of herself. And she's got a lot of power. There's no doubt about that. That's what I'd be, I'd be worried if I was Russell. So mm-hmm. we just found out, I'm sure that you've heard the news by now, Key, that the show's been renewed for a third mm-hmm. season. And mm-hmm. of course, no spoilers because we don't want, we don't know how it happened with Russell this season. We certainly don't want to give anything away. But how excited for you, just for everybody involved, to see this story continue for another season? I am looking forward to all those cast members, you know, who have worked so hard to create the story. Whomever is in three, I really wish them all well, because this is the most amazing series to work on. The producers are wonderful. They are the kindest, the most caring, the most human and humane people, Christy and Bob and, you know, all the rest as well. I could not be prouder to be in any other production. This has been a dream. So, Key, I heard a rumor that you're quite an artist and that you actually do sketches for members of the crew on projects that you're on. Did you get a chance to do that for Kung Fu yet? I actually did, yes. I I, I carry a sketch, little sketch pad, you know, those, those postcard-sized ones mm-hmm. in my pocket. And in between takes or, you know, when the, when you're doing a new setup, I pull it out and I just do my pencil sketch, my quick sketches, because it's very, it's very calming. It's very zen. And I capture the moment right in front of me, what I see. And very often, most of the time, I just hand them to whoever is close by to me, a crew member, you know, for them to remember that moment for themselves. I do. That's incredible. You're like the best Polaroid camera ever. I think that's really, really great. <laughs> so, Key, before I let you go, I want to take you back a little bit to earlier on in your career. You were part of a lot of big, big projects, but I can't help but ask you about your time on Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith. A lot of fans are seeing that movie in a little bit of a different light now with fresh eyes, especially with Obi-Wan Kenobi, the series coming up on Disney+. Plus. What do you remember the most about being a part of that and being a part of Star Wars in general? It's a film I can never forget because when it was done 20 years ago or so. But I remember my most vivid memory was being on set when we were waiting for Emperor Palpatine to land, for his spaceship to land. And all the characters were there and I was in the middle of it all. And I was in wonderment. And I suddenly realized because everyone was around me and Katie and Amanda were right next to me. And I was thinking, I'm, this is, I'm, this, I can't comprehend this. And suddenly I realized I wasn't watching a movie. I wasn't, in, wasn't watching television anymore. I was in the middle of Star Wars. I am Star Wars, I thought. And that was the most cataclysmic insight. I can only imagine what that moment was like. And you've had so many wonderful moments over your career. But we definitely want to make sure we're watching you in Kung Fu on The CW. That's every Wednesday night at 9 o'clock Eastern. You can also watch it again next day 
on the CW app. You're going to see this guy a lot more great stuff coming up in the future as well. It's Key Chan. Thank you so much for taking your time today. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Have a great day, James. And I don't know if you got the same vibe that I got when I was talking to Key, but I'm thinking, how can somebody so zen, so peaceful, play such a villain like Russell Tan? It's incredible, but that's just the way it works out sometimes. And this really has been a very intriguing season of Kung, Kung Fu so far. I mean, we're just a couple of episodes in. This was actually recorded before episode three aired. So, you know, no spoilers for episode three, but you can kind of see how this season is going to start to evolve a little bit. And you know that Russell Tan is going to be a big part of it and a big thorn in the side of the Shen family, which is another reason why you need to keep watching season two of Kung Fu, which is now on the CW every Wednesday night. Again, thanks to Key Chan for joining me this week to talk about Kung Fu. Up next, going to talk about Pachenko, the brand new series on Apple TV Plus with Jin Ha and Anna Suai. I'll talk to them and give you a little bit of my thoughts on the series next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Hey listeners, this is Peter Shinkoda from Daredevil at Play Noble, and you are listening to Down and Nerdy Podcasts. Another very popular novel is being adapted to a series, this time by Apple TV+, and it's Pachanko, which spans a few generations, talking about Korea and the Japanese rule over Korea for a certain period of time, and just, there's so many different ways that this series goes. I think you're going to be really, really surprised at just how deep it runs and how relatable that it might be for you, even if you weren't part of of that culture. So I got a chance to talk to Jin Ha and Anna Sawai, who both play a big role in this series, and we'll talk to them, and then I'll give you more of my thoughts on the show. Jin, Anna, how you doing? Sweet. Nice to meet you. Jin, I want to start with you. I just love how Solomon carried himself in, in the series and his ener- energy in general, but how would you describe him? I would describe him as a logical result of the decisions and sacrifices and accomplishments of the people that came before him. He's, he's really so much a product of the history and experiences of his parents, his grandparents, and even before. I mean, I suppose we could say that about everybody, but specifically with Solomon, there's so much intertwined with his identity about his background and about his family's history and their journey that that also colors so much of, as much as he tries to get away from it, literally by going to study and work in America, but also figuratively in terms of his distancing with his own background and his culture and identity. I think that element of him struggling with both of those, right? Like straddling the two, three worlds and cultures, that is so much of his identity, I think. Yeah. So in that sense, yeah, that that's sort of the, who is the, the first of a family 
to suddenly have opportunity in a way that his parents or his grandparents didn't. That's sort of the question, I think, that takes Solomon through. That is such a great way to put it, too. Quite frankly, once you see the series, you guys will understand exactly what he's talking about. Anna, for you, when we meet Naomi, I feel like she, to me, she just seemed like she had a lot of confidence. She wasn't afraid to speak her mind. So when you were first kind of learning about the character, what was your favorite thing about her? I was just really excited that I get to play someone who's from the same generation as my mother. My mom went through the same kind of thing, and it's a time when the equal employment opportunity law was just implemented in Japan, and so society was starting to open up, but people still had that image that women weren't as good. And so you see the employees go to Solomon before they go to her, mm -hmm. who's been at the office for much longer. Mm -hmm. So I was just really happy to tell that story. No doubt about it. Really quickly before I let you guys go, is there any way anybody's going to hit the skip intro button on this show? Because I got to tell you, there's a really fun intro that you guys get to have. Thanks. Yeah. Will anybody press the skip button? I don't know. I hope not. I think it's a lot of fun. So I read I read somebody, somebody said somewhere, uh, they likened it to the Peacemaker opening title sequence. Have that's exactly that? what I thought of when I saw it. So there it is. It wasn't me that said it, but that's what I thought of. Yeah, yeah. I read that and I was like, I love that this writer just brought in this whole other genre of TV to relate it to ours. I think that's that's great. And I, and I love that comparison. And I think people are going to be talking about that just as much as the show, but it's a, it's an amazing yeah. show. First three episodes of Pachanko are going to be streaming on Apple TV Plus on March the 25th. Jinha, Anaswai, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate thank it. Thank you. Thank you. So just a couple minutes with the both of them, but I mean, to see Solomon and Naomi's journey, and then you go backwards and see his grandmother's journey, and, and to, to a lesser extent, some of their kids as well, some of her kids as well, and her family, and just the way things come together and intertwine in this, it's, it's almost like several coming-of-age stories together, and you can see why this story is just so popular with so many people, and then you throw the culture aspect into this. And, and I, I learned so much from watching this show about that as well that, that I didn't even know. I mean, you, you knew some of it, but then you just see how tragic it is. And there's a lot of tragedy involved in this story too, but there's also just so many just moments that are just going to put a huge smile on your face. Pachinko is just a very, very unique story. And again, you you can understand why the book did so so well and why i think this is going to be another huge success for apple tv plus pachinko now streaming on apple tv plus again thanks to jin ha and anna sawai for joining me this week to talk about pachinko up next it's time for our review of the new halo series from paramount plus will it be spoiler free or full of spoilers you'll find out next i'm james with them and this is the down and nerdy podcast this is Victoria Atkin, the voice of Evie Fry, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. The fight against the Covenant is officially on. The Halo series has debuted on Paramount+. Plus. I was going to do this spoiler-free, but I think I need to do this spoiler-ish for my review of the premiere. And yes, this is based on the ultra-popular Xbox gaming franchise, but that's kind of where it stops. I'm just going to tell you right now that this def very much tells its own story there's winks and nods here and there don't get me wrong but but there's definitely it definitely doesn't follow the games i wouldn't say it follows the books either or any comics that i've seen or anything like that so this is definitely its own story and if you can't get over that right off the bat i can't help you i went into this thinking 
I have to treat this as its own entity. And I've really been trying to do that more and more lately, especially with stuff like this. So I went into this with that mindset. And yes, this is the still the 26th century conflict between humanity and the covenant. You know, this that group of, you know, basically hulking aliens. The, the covenant were huge in this series, which I thought that they did very right. And actually, in the beginning, I, I really liked the the attack on Madrigal that they had and then the, the battle that, that they had with the Spartans early on. I thought that that was very attention-getting. Uh, you know, maybe they, they were a little slow in the first few minutes and then things just picked up really, really quickly. And then we also get to meet Quan Ah, who is played by Yuren Ha. So in basically the, her entire... They, they're basically rebels on Madrigal because Madrigal has been fighting for their freedom against the ruling force, if you want to call them that, of the UNSC, which is, you know, which the Spartans have come from. And they're no fans of theirs, and they had no idea what the Covenant was until they got slaughtered by them, and Quan was basically the only survivor. So Master Chief kind of, you know, kind of tries to take her in, and, and he's going to bring her back to the UNSC. And then you kind of find out there's also an artifact that they find. And that's where things kind of change for our master chief. And then that's when the UNSC starts to get a little bit shady. Not going to lie. It went shady really, really quickly. And there's even some, we saw a couple characters within the UNSC that are like, this is what we're doing. Really? This is how we're going to do things because Quan Ha is just a teenager in the first place. So, and Master Chief sort of changes the game a little bit here and decides to, to go rogue. And I think that that's part of what's going to be part of the fun of this series. And then you see the fellow Spartans kind of rally around that. And then you also see Dr. Halsey's character, Dr. Halsey, the character of Dr. Halsey, kind of take the side of the Spartans as well. So there's some, there's some political aspects here to this. There's also a us versus them aspect of, you know, are the UNSC really the 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 ruling force that you that you want here? Are they really on the side of right? And do they really have humanity's humanity's best interest in mind? It doesn't seem like it in times. Right. Yet at the same time, you've got this covenant who is clearly, clearly leaps and bounds ahead of everyone except the Spartans. At this point, they, nobody seems to be any match for these Covenant except for the Spartans themselves. And what are the Spartans? There's a myth about them to people outside of the UNSC. And is that true? Is it not true? And could it be that our Master Chief, who was played brilliantly, by the way, by Paul Pablo Schreiber, Schreiber, I thought he did a really, really good job in just this first episode as Master Chief. Is there something more to his character than we thought maybe at the beginning. You know, maybe he's starting to get some of his memories back. Is that going to play a role in things going forward? I think it already has. So I actually think that there's a lot of intrigue in this show beyond what we would have gotten from a straight-out adaptation of the game. Not saying that it's a better story. I am not saying that at all. So don't get me wrong. I'm not going down that road. What I'm saying is, is that and I've said this before. Do you want to see the thing that you've already seen again? Or would you like to see somebody's fresh take on the thing? 
And I know there's a danger in that too, right? Because you could, because if it's not good, you look at it and you go, really? You could have done this and this is what you gave me. If it's not your thing, that's what you're probably going to think because you've already seen other stuff that you like that's Halo related. But there's also a joy in saying, okay, here's my take on this. What do you think? We just praised the Batman for that, okay? There were certainly winks and nods to the comics in the Batman, but it wasn't a straight adaptation of any specific story, whereas this is kind of the same thing. Do I put this on the same level as the Batman? Absolutely not, because this show is far from perfect. I thought the visuals were a bit off at times. I didn't think it was as visually stunning as it could have been. Again, one episode, the first episode. Hard to judge anything based on that. I thought that the acting across the board wasn't fantastic. I thought that Pablo Schreiber was good. I also thought that Yuren Ha was good. We didn't really get to see a whole lot of Jen Taylor as Cortana yet. I actually thought that Natasha McElhorn was good as Dr. Halsey. There are some good performances here, but there were a few that made me go, eh, you know, and we didn't really see a whole lot of characters outside of that, though, either. I thought the other Spartans were also very, very good. So there were there were some hit or miss things about this show. But again, it's the first episode. Did it leave me with a bad taste in my mouth thinking, nah, this probably isn't for me? No. Did it leave me thinking, man, I need to make sure I set my watch stay up until 3 a.m. and watch the second episode of this show. No, I didn't get reactions either way on that. What I'm saying is is that this story and this show seems good enough so far to keep going and see what happens. Could it build and become great and become that must-watch show? Yes. Could it also go the other way and become one of those shows where you go, "Uh, you know what, well, the choice they made with that wasn't really great. So, yeah, I'm out. I I don't think this is going to work for me. Yeah, it could. But how they craft the Master Chief's story going forward and how it's almost like a Grogu Mandalorian type relationship between he and Quan Ha at this point, which is kind of interesting. So Quan Ha's where she takes the helps take this story to is going to be interesting and how the fracture in the UNSC kind of starts to manifest itself also is going to be a big part of this too. So a lot of stuff that doesn't even have to do with the covenant is going to be a big reason why this show succeeds or fails. That's going to do it for my spoiler ish kind of review of the halo series from Paramount plus, which is now streaming episodes going to be coming out weekly up next. There's some really cool nerd news to talk about, including a new Disney Plus limited series from Marvel. I'll talk about that and more next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, this is McKinley Belcher III, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Could Marvel have another champion on their hands? It's time for nerd news. Going to start off with a report that came from Deadline, which is, as of me recording this anyway, yet to be confirmed, but it looks like a Nova limited series could be in line for Disney Plus. And Sabir Piz. Perzada, who who is part of Moon Knight, is going to be actually writing the series. So that's kind of all we know at this point. Of course, you know, the Nova Corps was first introduced in Guardians of the Galaxy by James Gunn. They've since very much gone away from the core in in recent in recent films. Anyway, I can't remember the last time a Nova character showed up in anything in the MCU. But this is obviously something that fans have been clamoring for 
for a while, and now it looks like it's probably coming. I, I mean, I, I don't have any reason to think that this report isn't true, and it, not necessarily going to be anytime soon, of course, but it, this, this just seems like it makes sense right now. Now, I know the temptation here is to go with Richard Ryder. I understand that, and that's a, that is a lot of people's Nova, but to me, the way the current state of the MCU is, the way it looks like they're going in the future, I really feel like we're better, better suited here for Sam Alexander. I know he's a more recent Nova, but he's a younger character. I, it seems like Marvel's the MCU's kind of leaning towards young Avengers or champions at some point, so it makes sense to have Sam Alexander and maybe a future team up with with Miss Marvel and and I mean if all things things go well, Miles Morales maybe later on down the line. It just really seems to make sense to go with a younger Nova at this point. That doesn't mean you couldn't bring in Richard Ryder in some sort of capacity as a mentor or, you know, as somebody who, you know, can can be a sounding board for a younger Nova Corps member or, or, or somebody who's wearing that suit. It's, it just makes sense to maybe do that. You don't necessarily have to do that, but you certainly could do that. And then you sort of make, I guess, make everybody happy sort of thing. But it, to me, I would go Sam Alexander at this point because I just think that, that that would fit better in the current MCU, especially since it does seem like Kevin Feige wants to do another Avengers movie right away anyway. And maybe at all at this point. And he seems to be hinting that, that that Endgame was the last Avengers movie. I can't imagine that. But again, you you look at things. You don't have to do another Avengers movie, at least not anytime soon anyway. They built up to that the first time around. So why wouldn't they want to do the same thing again? And, and what's the rush? The MCU hasn't gotten where they've gotten by rushing. So I kind of trust their master plan, the long game here. If they did do Young Avengers or Champions, what's wrong with that? It doesn't have to be Avengers every time. And what they're doing now, doing some different stuff, I, I kind of dig it. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if this is a limited series, but I don't think that would be the end of the character at all. A very, very familiar face is joining the Gotham Knights cast for the CW Potential series. It's only as a pilot order right now. And that is Misha Collins, who's going to be playing Harvey Dent on the series and presumably Two-Face as well because it seems like that's sort of where they're going. And this apparently this Harvey Dent's going to have some swagger too according to the little bit of a character description that was given. Misha Collins actually confirmed this himself on Twitter, by the way. Now, we already know that Duella Dent is going to be a part of this cast and Harper Rose been cast, Carrie Kelly as well, and of course Harper's brother Cullen going to be on the show too. And then you have Bruce Wayne's adopted son, who's supposed to be the focus of this whole thing. The name is Turner Hayes. Yeah, you Google that and good luck. You're not going to find anything. So there's a lot of mysteries surrounding how this could be Bruce Wayne's adopted son, who, of course, you know, Bruce is is now dead and been murdered. And Turner, it seems like, has been framed for this. So it's time to find out how what what really happened. And, you know, the Bat family kind of bands together. And the family and the children of some of its greatest villains, too, by the way. It's part of the the synopsis for the show to kind of figure out exactly what happened to Bruce and clear the air. But Misha Collins as Harvey Dent, I'm digging that on so many levels. I can actually picture it 
in my mind. And not to mention a brilliant move in casting and bringing in somebody like Misha Collins. Supernatural fans are starved to see their favorites on screen again. I mean, look at the reaction to the casting for season three of The Boy with Jensen Eccles. Look at how that worked out. So they're going to bring that. I mean, Eric Kripke was already part of Supernatural anyway. Now that he's really going to bring that fandom into the boys. And Supernatural fandom's going to check this out just for Misha Collins. And maybe you hook some of them anyway. Now I know there's some crossover there as far as fandoms go. So it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility that Supernatural fans would watch this anyway. But all I'm saying is, is this is a brilliant way to get eyes on a show that the CW clearly wants to succeed, especially since they just about announced a bunch of renewals. You get the flash coming back for a ninth season. You've got Riverdale coming back. You've got Kung Fu coming back. As I mentioned earlier in the show and several others, still no word on legends of tomorrow or Batwoman. We'll war work on that next week. I'll be talking about that next week. I'm sure. So this is just a brilliant way to set up this show to succeed at least for its first season, and then you see where you go after that. Having Misha Collins involved, I think, is a brilliant, brilliant move. And plus, he's good, and I think he's going to suit the role very, very well. So why not just go ahead and do that? Here's a name that I thought we would not see in the Wednesday series from Netflix, of course, based on Wednesday Adams, and it looks like she's going to be on board after all. Deadline's reporting that Christina Ricci has indeed joined the cast of the Tim Burton series, which is the coming-of-age story of Wednesday Adams, Teenage Wednesday Adams for the first time. Jenna Ortega, of course, going to play the title role. Who is Christina Ricci going to play? Not an older Wednesday, according to the, the report. Christina Ricci is actually going to play a brand-new character, and we get the whole details being kept under wraps, blah, blah, blah sort of thing. Okay, yeah. We, know, we also know that she's not playing Morticia Adams. We know that, too. The report's actually suggesting she's going to be replacing the Th- Thora Birch, who exited the series not too long ago. And production's actually supposed to be wrapping on the show soon anyway. So, so clearly, Richie's been a part of this longer than we knew that she was. And the last thing you saw her in was Yellow Jacket. So it's interesting, though, because... She put such an iconic stamp on the Wednesday Adams role, and I said this before when I talked about Wednesday, that there's almost a danger in having her in this because that does add more pressure to Jenna Ortega and just the show in general. But at the same time, it would almost be weird to not have her be a part of it, too. And I almost understand her not playing Morticia because she did play Wednesday, to play Morticia might be a little odd for this, and it might be a little bit distracting. You want the focus on Jenna Ortega here. You want the focus on this new Wednesday Adams. First time we're seeing Wednesday as a teenager, and this show has a chance to be really fun and really cool and really different. But if you have Christina Ricci involved as someone who played that role in such a, in, in a way that fans will probably never forget... That adds a little bit of a distraction into things. So having her play a brand new character, I I actually think that that's a smart way to go. And it'll be interesting to see how much this new character is involved with Wednesday, what that relationship would be like if if there is one 
It all would also be interesting to find out that this was like an antagonist, that she was playing some sort of an antagonist in the series against Wednesday. That would be a little bit that would be a little bit surreal, wouldn't it? I would kind of be into that. And I know that Christine, Christina Ricci could pull it off. So, I mean, I'm sure I'll talk about this again once we get the reveal of what her char- who her character actually is. But I'm actually excited to see her a part of this. I, I almost think that this is a writing of a wrong in a certain way. Really quickly, I want to talk about one deleted scene and a couple of trailers that came out this week. How could I not talk about the Batman deleted scene that Matt Reeves released recently? And yes, Barry Keegan's Joker was a part of this. We got to see him a little bit at the end of the Batman. And now we're seeing the deleted scene. And I got to tell you, first of all, I just want to say right off the bat, I think that there was, there was a good reason that this scene was not in the original movie. It wouldn't have really added much other than, hey, here's the Joker. It wouldn't have really pushed the story forward any. And the movie was already long enough. And this deleted scene was five minutes. You say, you know, what's five minutes? Well, you also didn't need to have the focus be on the Joker either in any capacity. So having this not be in the movie is smart, but getting to see it is also really, really neat because you get to actually find out how Barry Keegan would have been as the Joker. And it does feel like a very interesting version of the Joker. I actually dig the look that it's a little bit, you know, it's this a little bit of this deformed type look. And maybe that's because, you know, he caught quite a beating from the Batman when they when the last time that they tangled. So that would certainly make a lot of sense. You could still see the bloody fingernails and the bloody hands that he has. So maybe it hasn't been too long and their really odd relationship and how Joker kind of pokes at Pattinson's Batman about telling him how, you know, you guys aren't so different, you and the Riddler. And maybe you kind of agree with him on some of the stuff that he was doing. And how, and that laugh, that little laugh, he really has that down as well. I really like that maniacal Joker laugh that Keegan brought to the role. So this this might actually get fans clamoring for more Joker. I'm not one of them. I really hope we don't see this for a while. If you know, if Keegan could still stay attached as the character, I, I definitely need a Joker break. I hope they go a different route for this second movie, and I, I really do think that they will. But this was cool to see. It's just it's the cool factor that Matt Reeves has brought to this thing ever since the beginning, giving us little bits and pieces of things at a time. And he's done so right by the fans since joining the Batman. I have no doubt that he's going to continue to do so. And hey, it just makes me look more forward to the Penguin series. It's going to be coming to HBO Max and a ton of other stuff as well. Let's talk about a couple of different trailers. This one from Warner Brothers Home Entertainment. Remember that movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger, Eraser, Vanessa Williams was in it. And basically, it was one of those deals where he, you know, there's high risk witnesses. So you fake their death so nobody comes after them, sort of thing. Well, now it's going to be Dominic Sherwood in this role in Eraser Reborn. And this is actually going to be a reboot of the original movie. So he fakes the death of a mafia boss's wife or a crime boss's wife, I should say, who's going to turn state's evidence. Now, here's the problem is that he's been set up, of course, right? So now he's got to, you know, go through, you know, get through the double cross and still keep this woman safe too, by the way. So that that in you know that's when the action ensues. And yeah, this is definitely your your typical action type movie. And first of all, what's wrong with that? 
Nothing. Absolutely nothing. If you just love, you know, popcorn action movies, this is one of those ones that it just feels like that. And I think that that's, it's going to be coming out June 7th, by the way, on Blu-ray, DVD, and digital HD from Warner Brothers Home Entertainment. And I think that this is one that could be that just could be fun. You know, don't overthink it. Don't expect, you know, these magical, you know, deep, thick plot lines. Just sit back. There's nothing wrong with sitting back and enjoying a, a you know, old school, like a, a 90s style action movie. It's just absolutely nothing wrong with that. So I, I, I'm, I always get I get sucked into movies like this all the time. And I'm actually really, really looking forward to this one. And yeah, may, maybe they do the original justice. Maybe they don't. But I think that this is going to be at least a little bit of their own spin on this. And, and I do think that the cast is, is you know, the, it's not a huge, not a lot of huge names that you know for sure. But I mean, Jackie Lai is going to be a part of this. McKinley Belcher III, who's been on the podcast before. Eddie Ramos going to be in this as well. So I think definitely worth checking out. You want to talk about names you recognize, though. There's going to be a movie, Agent Game, which is going to be in theaters on demand and digital HD on April the 8th from Lionsgate and Saban Films. This one's got a bunch of names you're going to recognize. Dermot Mulroney is in this. Aiden Kanto, who, of course, is from, you know, you recently saw him in The Cleaning Lady. Our girl, Katie Cassidy, is in this. Jason Isaac, Mel Gibson is in this as well. And actually, Mulroney plays a CIA invest interrogator. Basically, they grab these assets and they bring them to countries where they don't really care what you do there. And you do these interrogations and you get people to talk to get the information that you need. Here's the problem. One of these interrogations goes south. So now Mulroney's character kind of gets pinned for this. So now there's a team that's coming after his team. And should they be going after his team or not? And then they have a little bit of a conflict within their team. You know, are they doing the right thing? And then somehow Mel Gibson's character is stirring the pot from behind the scenes. And, you know, what's going to happen when these two two factions clash? And maybe they end up joining forces at some point. That's the, that's kind of the vibe you get from the trailer where you're watching this first trailer and you go, okay, well, who's in the right here? Who's Who's got the right answer? And does, does anybody think that they might not have the right answer? It's I, I think it's just a very, very neat little way to go. And I, th- I think that this is something, again, that could be a lot of fun as far as action movies are concerned. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks to all of my amazing guests this week. You want to keep up with what we've got going on, including our two new shows that are going to be coming up. Go to downandnerdypodcast.com. Also follow along on social media at downandnerdy757 on Twitter and Instagram, and at Down and Nerdy on Facebook. Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly, and be good to your fellow nerds. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwein, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.